Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Good morning. Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe, who could instruct us to identify Him as whatever He wanted, chooses first and foremost to be known as Father? That's amazing. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Uh, It's wonderful to worship with you. I missed last week. I was sorry to miss it because what a celebration last week was for for Rory Frederick and for Tim Palmer to join them in celebrating the ordination and what God has done in their lives over the past year, year and a half. Uh, Oh, man, that was fun to watch. So, you know, when I was in the apprenticeship program, Tim and Rory started the Yoke Fellow training that they were in, and so we got to sit in on some meetings together. We, we grew together, learned together uh, through different things while our training overlapped some, and man, it is just such a joy to watch men grow and, and serve the Lord and lead this church through service. That was just exciting, so... Well, today we are finishing this series on wisdom for quality friendships. And throughout this series, Rance and Ben have uh, tried to emphasize this point, that we aren't going through this as a way to like write down a bunch of checklists of what your friends should be doing for you. If that's what you've come away with, I'm sorry you missed it. The goal of this series is for us to evaluate ourselves How can I be this type of friend? What does being a godly friend look like in my life? And so to help us see that, we started with this idea that a friend, a godly friend, loves at all times. And we looked at the remarkable friendship of Jonathan and David, two men who really by all accounts should have hated each other. Two men who should have been fighting over the same throne to rule the nation of Israel. And yet, despite everything that should have been driving them apart, these two men loved one another out of a love of God. Then we looked how Jesus actually offers us this friendship that is closer than any other relationship that we could have. And we studied what it meant for us to try to imitate him in that way. And and we saw that godly friends remain committed to the other person, even when it hurts, even when it's inconvenient for me. And then two weeks ago, Rance showed us how iron sharpens iron, how that works in a friendship, what that practically looks like. We looked at how godly friendship has a goal in mind, and that sharpening one another, in doing that, we bring glory to God. And now in that message two weeks ago, Rance had this really fun term that I want to stick with and, and play with today. And it's this idea that if we don't have somebody sharpening us, we don't have that iron in our lives, that we will become iron deficient. And what that means is that we will become dull. Our relationship with the Father, our relationship with one another, it just doesn't have that edge to it that it's meant to if we don't have these friendships sharpening us. Well, today we're going to build off that idea because if we don't have friendships that have God in the equation at all, We're not just suffering from iron deficiency. The whole friendship is deficient. 
So this morning, we are going to go to Proverbs. We're going to see the deficiency of worldly friendships as we seek to answer this question. How does the church cultivate true friendships? But before we start, let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning grateful to be together, grateful for how we have seen you work in this church body, whether it's ordinations for for men as, as deacons or through baptisms and weddings. Father, we are just in awe of you and how you cultivate godly men and women through your church. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of that process. Father, I pray today that you would give us clear minds, that we would be able to focus on this friendship that you intend for all of us to enjoy from others, but also the friends that you intend us to be. I pray, Father, that you would help us to to just come away in awe of your love today and let that love overflow to our friendships. In your name, amen. All right, now before we study what this true friendship is, we've got to recognize first that we can't understand this if we're coming from the perspective of the world. See, the world has no idea what we would mean by true friendship at all. Because most friendships, and we we could broaden this, relationships in general of the world are rooted in one simple motivation. Are you ready for it? Self-interest. Now that's cynical, I know, but but stay with me because it's true. You see, most people, even in marriage, why do people want to get married? Because that person makes me happy. Now, where's the focus there? That's right. So, so now we, we take that idea, but we also do this with our friendships, and, and probably more so with our friendships, right? Because I have friends that make me laugh. So when I feel sad, I go to my friends that make me laugh, and they make me happy. I have friends that comfort me. When I'm depressed or throwing a pity party, you know, I can go to those friends, and they make me feel better. And, and so on and so on. And so you see these friendships really in their natural state. We're friends because I get something out of it. Now you think about Solomon. Solomon was surrounded by people who would have claimed to be his friend, but were really just in it for the stuff they could get because they were close to power. And so Solomon's in this situation. Look what he has to say in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 4. He says, Wealth makes many friends. But the poor is separated from his friend. And then two verses down, he continues, Many entreat the favor of the nobility, and every man is a friend to one who gives gifts. And yet, all the brothers, see, help me out one time. Tech team, thank you. All the brothers of the poor hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He may pursue them with words, and yet they abandon him. So you read something like that, and you just think, what did Solomon observe in how people interacted, not just with him, but with his dad, King David? He would have grown up in the royal palace, seeing these people coming to the throne of David, giving him gifts, flattering him with their words, professing their love and loyalty to David, when all they were really after was the power and authority they could get from the throne. And then when Solomon was old enough to to step into that role as well, 
the same thing happened. And through his wisdom, Solomon was able to see through this type of friendship that was chiefly concerned about self. And so he says a statement like, every man is a friend to him that gives gifts. And at the same time, as he observes society, I mean, you know, you think about it, why, why would people really cater to the king with gifts anyway? He doesn't need it. They're giving the king all kinds of things, and yet he looks at the poor, and nobody cares about the poor. Why are the poor so often overlooked? It's because they can't give anything in return. And so James builds off this centuries later, and he, he builds off this wisdom, and he says in, in the book of James that pure and undefiled religion is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. Now, why would James boil down pure and undefiled religion to ministering to widows and orphans? Because when you go to minister to them, you don't expect anything in return. This is a selfless type of friendship. And so we see this important point early on that the follower of Christ looks beyond self-interest in their friendships. It's not about what I get out of it. And so with that early understanding to build on, we'll continue to dig into this question. Because that doesn't give us a full picture of what friendships, what godly friendships are supposed to look like. In addition to not just going at it with what I can get out of that friendship, godly friendships always have a purpose. Now, most friendships, in, in addition to that kind of self-interest foundation, they also are born out of convenience. So I became friends with people that I went to high school with because we were around each other all the time, right? I was friends with people that played the same sports as I played. And, and now you're friends with coworkers. You're friends with parents that have kids that are your kid's age, and they take them to, to t-ball or whatever. And that's just how it works. That's normal. Uh, there's nothing wrong with friendship starting there, but there is an issue that we need to recognize. Because these friendships are born out of convenience, they typically just remain shallow. They typically remain boxed into whatever initially started that friendship. And it's easy to go through life without intentionality in these friendships. But look what the Proverbs say in, in chapter 12, verse 26. He says, the righteous should choose his friends carefully. Why? For the way of the wicked leads them astray. So in contrast with earthly friendships that just kind of happen, the righteous are intentional in choosing friends. The godly recognize that those who you surround yourself with has a large impact on who you are becoming as well. I mean, we all, know, we all know the phrase, bad company corrupts good character, right? So if, and you can see this, if you are around an angry person at work, or, you know, hopefully not in your marriage, but maybe, if you're around an angry person, long enough, soon enough, your reactions become more angry. Because friendships either build us up or they tear us down. And the disciple of Jesus acknowledges this. And they seek out friendships that will sharpen them. They seek out people who will shine light into their lives. So they meet with those in the church. that They meet outside the church. You know, they, they go to lunch together. They, they talk. They sharpen one another. Now I know that that requires reprioritizing some friendships. That means that there are friendships that 
you know, maybe wisdom tells us we need to walk away from those because they're bringing the whole relationship down. Because that relationship runs counter to your goal of growth, to your goal of looking like a godly friend. And it means investing in people who maybe naturally, you know, you don't have a lot in common with, but you have Christ in common. And they will help you grow. But, but don't mishear me on this because this isn't a picture of, you know, retreating to a church bubble and cutting yourself off from everybody in the world. This is simply what a disciple does, how a disciple lives. We follow those who are learning how to love and live like Jesus so that we can learn better how to love and live like Jesus. And then we see those that are behind us and we invite them to come and learn how to love and live like Jesus too. And this thing builds everyone up into the love of Christ. But those relationships that run counter to that are not profitable to keep. They can lead you astray, which is what Proverbs 12:26 is warning us about today. In all these relationships, we see an intentionality that the world doesn't have. They have a goal in mind. They work towards this goal through their time together, through their conversations together, and through their activities together. So with that, Proverbs gives us a, a better understanding of what friendship within the church should look like, with what godly friendships should look like, why we should prioritize them in this way. But it still doesn't answer our original question here. How does the church cultivate true friendship? And so to answer this question, I'm, I'm going to take us on a journey. And you may not see how this connects right away, but just hang with me because I promise it ties in. Have you guys ever seen those videos like the, the Google Earth videos on YouTube where it starts zoomed in to like your town and you hit play and it starts to like zoom out and pretty soon you're looking at the whole United States and it keeps going and then you're at like the whole world and it keeps going and then you see like the moon go by you and you got like Jupiter and Saturn are flying by and it keeps zooming out until even our galaxy is just a dot on the screen. Well that's, that's kind of what we're going to be doing for the next few minutes. The, the goal here is that we get this added perspective. Where does true friendship even originate from? And our hope today is that you come away in awe of who God is and the relationships that he has made available to us. Because here's the thing. We believe that we've got something pretty special here. We believe that the relationships that the church has to offer are unique. In fact, we think that there's nothing else like this in the world Nothing that can compare to the friendships that you can find right here in your home church. And hopefully by the end of today, you will agree that this type of friendship is worth dropping everything for. It's worth reprioritizing your entire life if that's what it takes. And investing fully in the friendships and the relationships that are available to you within the church body. But in order to get there, we got to go to the beginning. we got to zoom out. we got to see where this starts and actually, we got to go before the beginning. All right, so a lot of you are familiar with the, the first verse in the book of John. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All right, now the Word is the Son of God. That's, that's who he's referencing. So what John is saying through the Holy Spirit is that the Son of God was with God from the beginning. And now if you remember Genesis 1, we can see before the, the creation events that the Holy Spirit was there as well. 
So before God created the world, you've got the whole Trinity together, active, present. And that might lead you to a lot of questions, but the question we're going to focus on is, what was God doing? What was he doing before he was creating? To answer that, we're going to stay in the book of John, but we're going to flip to chapter 17. John 17 is Christ's prayer to the Father, and he is readying himself for the crucifixion. And the the part of the prayer we're focused on is where Jesus turns his attention to believers, to the church, and he starts praying for us. And he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you gave me, may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me. And watch this. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Okay, what was God doing before he created? He was loving. God wasn't incomplete. God wasn't waiting on us to be created before he could share his love with somebody. The Bible shows us that he was always complete. He was always full of love, and he was always having that love poured out of him already. From the Father to the Son, through the Spirit, and reciprocated back to him. And it was good and it was complete before we ever came into the picture. Now you'll notice that next to the word love, I've got in in parentheses the Greek word that we get love from. Agapao or agape. And if you have been coming to First Baptist for a while, you've heard this word probably a lot. But for those of you that are new, we're going to take just a minute and, and talk about this. You see, in English, we have one word for love. So that I can say that I love pizza, I love baseball, and I love my wife. And you don't question my sanity. Sarah's not mad at me. Because we all assume that these are different degrees of love. But it's, it's pretty fuzzy in English. The Greek didn't leave that much room for error. The Greek separates love into several different words. And so you've got eros, which is uh, the, this physical, like, passionate, you know, teenage love. Uh, you, you have sturge. Sturge is, is this love of affection. It's married love. When you see a couple that's been married for 50 years, you don't have to say anything. You just see it in their eyes, this, this love that they have for one another. That's sturge. And then you get phileo. Phileo is brotherly love. That's why we have Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. And the thing about all three of these loves is that you can produce them. You were born with the ability to love in all three of these ways. But then you have agape. And agape love is different. See, agape love is this this unconditional type of love. It's not seeking anything in return. All the other loves are dependent on the other person. Not agape. It doesn't have to be reciprocated. It just simply loves to love. But because it's completely selfless, it's not a love that you and I are capable of just producing. This isn't something that you go home and you're like, man, I'm going to try to agape everybody. It just doesn't work. You can't produce it. It only is produced by God. And it's the love that the Trinity operated by before the creation of the world. Now, this is big because often we tend to relate to God through his power or through his knowledge. 
And yet what Jesus shows us here in this prayer, but also throughout his entire ministry, is that the defining quality of God from eternity past was not chiefly power, although he is all-powerful. It wasn't chiefly knowledge, although he knows all things. The defining quality of God from eternity past to now is his love. This unconditional love seeking nothing in return, always out for the other person's best interest. That's how God chooses to reveal himself time and again. And it was good and it was complete in the Trinity before we were ever part of the picture. And as Jesus prays and reflects on the love that he and the Father have shared since before the foundation of the world, he turns his attention to us. And he says, and I have declared to them your name and will declare it, that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. So you see, Christ's desire is for us to have the same agape love fill us that defined the relationship of the Trinity since before time began. But we have this problem. We can't produce it. What are we to do? Well, the Holy Spirit continues to, to show us, and, and we're going to go to Romans 5.5 5 here. And this is the Apostle Paul writing through the Holy Spirit. And he says this, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now what's this mean? This is saying, if you have put your faith in Jesus as Savior, if you have trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you have eternal life, he has given the Holy Spirit to you as a down payment, as assurance that you have eternal life. And with the Holy Spirit, what has he poured out in you? Agape love. I want you to notice the wording. Has been poured out. That's past tense. When you accepted Christ, it happened. It's there. You don't have to go to God today and pray, Lord, I need agape love. He's going to say you already got it. And yet, when I review my past week, agape love didn't define every interaction I had. I don't always live out of agape love. So I have it, but it's not always there. What's going on? How do I access this agape love? Well, Christ talks about that more in John, and he, he says that he is the vine and that we are the branches. So this illustration, if you stay connected to Christ, this just happens. You just will have this agape love. And Christ tells us things that, that help us stay connected by living a life of obedience to him, by pursuing Christ in our day-to-day -day life, by structuring our life around what he prioritizes. But it always comes back to us viewing Christ as a person, not as just a thing to do. Not as a checklist to go read your Bible in the morning, but as a person to meet with. And that as we love Christ, this agape love is just going to naturally flow right through us as well. So are you ready to put this together? We're going to start to zoom back in to, to where we are here. Here's the process we've looked at. The Father loves the Son and so the Son is loved, and He radiates the Father's love to everything around Him. So Christ then loves the church, and the church is loved. And the church radiates that love to everything around it as well. 
And here's the thing. When we live connected, and so, you know, this, this cup is you. When we live connected to Christ, it's going to be our, our picture here, then no matter all the people in our lives, the friendships are also like the people that kind of rub us the wrong way. No matter where they come from in our lives, how they treat us, it's not going to matter. Because if we are being filled with agape love, it's going to fill our lives and it doesn't stop. It's going to continue to pour out from us to these other people. And watch what happens. Even these people that just rub shoulders with us are lifted up as well by that love. So if they're not being poured into by Christ, they're still seeing this agape love through their friendship with me if I'm connected to Christ. Now, how many of you would like to experience that kind of friendship, that kind of love that is totally selfless, not looking for anything in return? I mean, does that sound good? Now, how many of you have ever felt that love from somebody? Because, man, if you felt it, you never forget it. You never forget those people. See, the world is starving for it, and it doesn't know it. But that's why I said, like, we think we have something special within the church that's worth building your entire life around. Because the agape relationship with one another is the kind of relationship that you have access to within the church with other people that are here. We all have that love poured in us. And we all have the ability to share it if we're connected with Christ. The church is designed to be made up of followers of Jesus who are connected with him and therefore experiencing that agape love filling them and flowing from them to other people and lifting them up as well. Now just last weekend I was reminded about how special this is. I had the opportunity to go with Colin McDougall to Kinston and to see David and Dana and, and the kids and to see Frank and Jasmine and Colin got to speak at Emmanuel Baptist Church. And you know, we've not seen them in a while. A lot has changed since they moved out there. Kind of feels like a blur sometimes. But because we're all connected to the same source of life and love in all of us, you know what happens when we get together with them? Those relationships remain special and they remain as dynamic as they ever were when everybody lived in Robbinsville. And I got to sit on our last day there, I got to sit in on a breakfast meal with David and Colin and I just got to sit back and watch this agape love flow from Christ into Colin, into David and then to each other. And to me, because I was there as well. And I got to watch that as they discussed life, the things that were challenging them, how they were growing. And it was really just amazing to sit back and see this whole thing unfold. Because neither distance, nor age, nor experiences, or anything else that you can think of can quench that love that flows from the Father to Christ and is offered to us as well to overflow to all of our relationships. And when you have that type of relationship, I mean, wow. How am I supposed to compare earthly friendships with that type of agape-filled, godly friendship? One is a shadow. The other is more real than the room that we're in. And it's accessible and it's available to every one of us in Christ. But. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know, that sounds all right, but I've been here for a while and I haven't felt any of that kind of friendship. Okay, I get it. 
I understand. This, this can take time to develop. And when we start to feel like we're on the outside, like we don't have that friendship, it's easy to become inward focused and to pull back from everything we were trying to get into. But here's the thing. If you plant a garden and you never cultivate it, you just kind of leave the seeds there, maybe throw some dirt on it and walk away, and you never spend time watering the garden or weeding the garden or cultivating those plants that start to grow, your garden's going to be pretty bad. It's, it's not going to produce like it should produce, like it was designed to produce. And the same thing is true within the church. These friendships are available. They're here. They've been given through the Holy Spirit by Christ. But they don't just immediately hit you when you walk in the first time. This is something that takes time to cultivate. It's a process. And so before we close this morning, I want us to look at how the early church cultivated this type of friendship. In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41, we read, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Right, this is the part that most churches are pretty familiar with. And praise the Lord at the, the baptisms that we get to celebrate from this past Thursday and the baptisms that are coming up within this church. I mean, that is something that is exciting. But watch what the early church did next. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then a few verses down. So continuing daily, daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So once these early Christians were born again, once they were baptized and welcomed into the church, what did they do next? They cultivated relationships within that church. How did they do it? By faithfully doing life together. Daily walking this life together. You see, the early church worshipped together. They were in each other's homes together. They prayed together. They studied the word together. They shared what they were learning and how it applied to their lives, the things they struggled with, as they sat across the table from one another in their homes. Now we hope that that type of process sounds familiar to you because that's the culture that we strive for at RFBC. That's what we want to be building every week. A community of believers who are doing life together. We want all that we do to cultivate those types of relationships within the church. So if you're listening today and you're feeling like, you know, you, you don't have any of these relationships, you're, you're on the outside looking in, if you feel that way, then let me encourage you to just be faithful in investing where there are opportunities here. If you ask where opportunities are, then this next slide's for you, because we have a lot of them, right? The, the first place that this can start practically is in Sunday school. And I know that means sacrificing an hour of your weekend that is precious on a day of rest, but this is worth it. Come to Sunday school. Come and connect with the people that are in these classes. There is incredible teaching that is practical for your daily life. And there are relationships that are waiting to be 
sought out and, and built and cultivated in these Sunday school rooms. The next thing is in-person worship. All right, we are so grateful to have a video that we can live stream, that I can watch this throughout the week if I'm not able to come. Praise the Lord, but don't ever lose sight that that wasn't the intention of Christ in the church. The purpose of church was to come together in person, worshiping alongside one another. And here's the thing, when we end, you know, and, and people go to lunch and we, we swamp Wendy's or wherever, we don't have to leave right when the service is over. There are people that stay here and talk to like 1.30, right? And that may be daunting. You don't have to commit to that much time. But there's a community here that you can stay and talk and share life. And that's where this is cultivated more than just sitting in a pew for an hour on a Sunday morning. We also in the summer do summer family fellowships. And there is no agenda there. There is, is not anything that you have to do except come and hang out. We eat. We talk. We play games. We joke. And we get to build these relationships up together. And then soon life groups will start again. And we're going to meet in one another's homes and just talk about the word. Share how I can be praying for you. I'll share how you can be praying for me. And we're sharpening one another in our homes. That's the process. And then if we can zoom in a little bit further to that individual level. If you want to be known. If you want to experience this type of relationship. It's not enough just to show up. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, willing to share what's going on in our lives and open to answering questions that will come once you share. That's a risk, but it's a risk that you need to take. If, and, and on the other side of this, if you want to be that godly friend that is asking those questions, that is the driving force in helping cultivate this with somebody else, the best way to start is just to listen. Ask questions have a conversation that isn't centered on you, that's centered on the other person, and always be intentional with the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are my words building them up or tearing them down? I think we had a series on that. That's what it takes. And the awkwardness, the tensions within yourself, the inconveniences that are sometimes required to cultivate these faithful friendships is absolutely worth it. Believers in Jesus have access to a special, divine, unconditional love that goes back before time itself even began. And through friendships within the church, we get to live in that love, not just with our Savior, but with people who do life with us every day. It is worth all the effort, all the frustrations, all the risk. So to answer that original question, how does the church cultivate true friendships? True friendship is founded in agape love and is cultivated through faithfulness to one another. If you want to be a godly friend to somebody else, you don't start out with a list of to-dos of what you need to do. You start out with loving God. And as our love for God grows, that love will overflow to all the relationships in our lives. That's the process. And it's absolutely worth taking the risk. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for this divine love that you have invited us to be a part of, God, that you are a God of relationship. You enjoyed perfect relationship before we were ever created, and out of the love that you shared, 
you just drove to create. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we get to be vessels that carry your love, this divine love, to other people. Thank you that we get to be part of this process of bringing the world to you through friendship. Father, I pray that this sermon series would have an impact on those that have heard it, that this might redefine how we think about friendship. God, I pray that the friendship from this church will go past age, will go past work experience, common interests in sports or TV or or whatever it may be. Father, that this church would enjoy fruitful, good, holy friendship across all ages, across all experiences, across all interests, that it would bridge the gap from past hurts that we might have with one another, that it would cover the misunderstandings and the hurt feelings that are bound to happen. God, I pray that you would continue to show us what it means to lean into this type of love, to love you and love others. Thank you for your word and for this opportunity. In your name, amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.